thank you for listening to the Coal Mind podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and today I'm examining the question of treason. General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, reached out to his counterparts in China and other foreign countries during the end of the Trump administration to try to avoid an accidental war breaking out. Former President Trump and his allies have accused General Milley of engaging in treason. His defenders say he is simply doing what generals are supposed to do. This podcast examines issues related to those calls, the broader issue of civilian control of the military in our American government. Sources report that in the closing days of the Trump administration, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, concerned that an angry president could potentially involve the United States in unwanted armed conflict, reached out to the general's counterparts in China and other foreign countries in an attempt to avoid misunderstandings that could lead to war. Former President Trump has criticized this as an act of treason and called for the resignation of the general. A quick examination of the text of the Constitution, though, leads us to a pretty rapid conclusion that it is not, in fact, treason. The Constitution defines that offense as involving levying war against the United States or adhering to enemies, the U.S., giving them aid and comfort. Hasn't been litigated much in American history, but to the extent that it has been, those terms have been read strictly and narrowly. The idea of levying war was litigated in a case in 1807 involving associates of the former Vice President Aaron Burr, who attempted to overthrow the U.S. government and its control of New Orleans. The Supreme Court concluded that while they had made plans and conspired against the United States, they had not actually levied war and thus did not come within the meaning of that provision. Similarly, in Kramer against the United States, a case about Nazi saboteurs that came ashore in the United States during World War II, the court concluded that aid and comfort was one thing, but it required adhering to the enemy as well. And unless you actively joined that side of the conflict, you had not violated that provision either. Why this very specific definition in the Constitution? It's the only crime referred to there. Part of the answer is self-interest. The framers of the Constitution had obviously just recently engaged in some treason against the English crown in forming the United States. But more importantly, when they drafted the Constitution, they brought with them a legacy of skepticism about cries of treason by the British crown and the enforcers of the interests of the crown as simply blurring together things the king didn't like with actual offenses to the state. They wanted to be very careful that people wouldn't sling around cries of treason undermining the interests of the United States when actually it was just a claim that someone wasn't supporting the political leadership that much. From that starting place, then, we can discount the claim of treason. But the deeper question is, did something otherwise inappropriate happen? Because certainly you can violate laws or customs or appropriate standards for conducting oneself without violating a norm set out in the Constitution. This is a more difficult question. The Constitution, of course, makes the President of the United States the Commander-in-Chief of our armed forces. That, at the time, was a radical concept having civilian control over the military. It has remained in place and been honored for the entire time we've had the Constitution, sometimes more easily than others, but generally it is an idea that has served us well. The argument made by former President Trump and his associates is that by the general stepping out and reaching out to his counterparts, that undermines the role of the president as commander-in-chief. It is inappropriate behavior from any army officer, much less the highest-ranking one. The counterpoint involves some thinking about the role of the military. 
Samuel Huntington of Harvard first drew national attention with his book in the 1950s called The Soldier and the State about the relationships between the United States civilian government and military leadership during the many years that we have had that principle of civilian control enshrined in our Constitution. He suggested that a reason the U.S. had been successful in maintaining that balance of power between those institutions was the professionalism of the military career in the military is regarded both within the military and without as something that requires skill, as a legitimate career for one to spend one's professional life in, and related to that recognition as a legitimate discipline and a legitimate professional career is the concept that within the sphere that the military's profession relates to, its control is largely absolute. Civilians don't control things like what troops go where. And Professor Huntington drew a distinction between objective control of the military and subjective control. Objective control being what we aspire to or we've come to aspire to in our constitutional order where the civilian branches with the commander in chief but generally leave operational matters to the professional soldiers of the military as opposed to subjective control where there is a nominal distinction but the leadership of the military is not professionally distinct from the leadership of the civilian side of government. They come from the same place, they study the same things, they're all a bunch of lawyers, putting it a little more simply, and we've generally avoided that. That poses the practical question, are generals supposed to talk to each other? Professor Joseph Nye of Harvard famously wrote in the 1980s during the Cold War a book called Hawks, Doves, and Owls. Hawks are concerned about getting into a war because you look weak. Doves are concerned about getting into a war because you're too strong and boss other people around and pick fights. And owls are concerned about wars breaking out by accident. History of the world's conflicts and the world's militaries, there are many examples of times when conflicts either began by mistake or escalated by mistake, or in the case of the beginning of World War I, simply ratcheted upwards by automatic mobilization plans unfolding without a lot of regard for whether practically that was really a good idea. The answer then is pretty plainly yes. Some level of communication in peacetime between opposing militaries or militaries representing countries that have distinct policy interests is necessary to make sure people don't shoot at each other by mistake and inadvertently turn a potentially tense situation into one that rapidly escalates and becomes something beyond the control of the people involved. Related to that is another principle about military autonomy and its own governance. The oath taken by soldiers and officers is one to the Constitution of the United States, not the president. While unquestionably military leaders must be loyal to the country, certainly an argument can be made that loyalty to the country means taking appropriate steps to make sure that the nation doesn't accidentally get into a war that kills a lot of people. Moving past from the label of treason, which does not really appear to be applicable, there is something of a conflict between general principles about how the leadership, the civilian and military components of our government interact with each other. There is no question that in our system of governance, civilians have the last word through the president acting as commander in chief. But at the same time, as Professor Huntington's analysis explained and continues to have persuasive value today, that leadership is most effective when there is some division of authority between what civilian leaders worry about and what military leaders as members of their own profession themselves are capable of focusing on and are given autonomy to focus on. If the general had been aware of a specific plan by the president that involved some sort of plan against China, the question might be different. Not so much that he would be going against the president's will, but that he would be subverting a national policy. 
But in the absence of something like that, simply communicating to avoid mixed signals, accidental conflict, would appear to be something within the boundaries of what the United States has worked out as a practical matter to assure effective governance of the military in a structure where civilians maintain the ultimate control. At the end of the day, despite all efforts to maintain the military as an apolitical institution, it's a political institution at some level. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is an extremely visible figure. General Milley has certainly engaged with the public about this issue, either directly or indirectly through speaking to authors of a high-profile book. And that may be reason why politically President Biden may feel more comfortable with a different leader of the military, or he may be entirely comfortable and elect to proceed. That decision, though, has to do with optics, politics, votes, and is a civilian decision separate from whether or not there's a more fundamental breach of a separation of power between the military and civilian parts of our government as we understand that and have practically implemented it over the years. Today on Coal Mind, we examined the cries of treason that have risen up in the media today as a result of General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, reaching out to his counterparts in China and other countries during the closing days of the Trump administration. I conclude that what has been reported as his activity does not appear to violate the treason clause as it is written in our Constitution and has been interpreted by the courts as to whether the general may have gone beyond appropriate boundaries and, and it would otherwise be appropriate to discharge him from his duties, that question raises some profound questions about what the military is supposed to do and be autonomous over, even in a system where civilians maintain ultimate control of the military through the president serving as commander-in-chief. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll leave a kind five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.